Thanks very much, Ian. Thank you all very much for your, your welcome. I really love coming to Rotherham Evangelical Church because you serve cake. For as long as you keep serving cake, I'll keep turning up. And if you don't want me to keep turning up, you need only stop serving cake. That's not the whole reason for me enjoying coming. It's nice to be uh, amongst friends. Can I ask, are there any Germans here this evening? No Germans. Okay. It's okay to admit if you're German. It's all right. I want to tell you about a German lady. She passed away about six years ago, but she was a friend of mine. Um, she was a former, well, she was a member of uh, St. Thomas's Church in Kimberworth when I was the vicar there. She gave me my dog, or she gave me her dog, which was a border collie Max, so we had that dog in common. So she followed me over to, to Wickersley when I became rector there. Lovely lady, Christian lady. Moved to this country after the Second World War, having married a British soldier. It was tough being a German in Rotherham in the 1950s, because certain market traders at least held her responsible for everything Adolf Hitler had done during the Second World War. But she, she didn't mind. She got on with life, and she had a family, children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren. And she witnessed to them as often as she could. She had three granddaughters, all of whom who had partners, and all of whom had children themselves. And Helga was concerned that they should be married. They weren't married to their partners. She was concerned that they should be. And from time to time, she would urge them to consider getting married, not least for the sake of their children. And their, her three granddaughters would respond, basically by patronising Helga and saying, Grandma, you're so old-fashioned. Marriage is not for today. It's a thing of the past. And if it is today, well, it's just another lifestyle choice. And basically, they said to go sit in your corner, in the corner, Grandma, on your chair, on your rocking chair, and carry on with your knitting. Words to that effect. And she told me about this, and I said to her, No, Helga, you're not old-fashioned. You are what is known as an idealist. Because the values that you hold are biblical. Which means they are ideal... And they are timeless. They are for yesterday, they are for today, and they are forever. And I went on to say that the, the biblically supported human institution of marriage is absolutely the best domestic arrangement for children. All the research proves this. Children do best in families where there is a mother and a father who are married. So I said to her, Helga, you're saying the right things to your granddaughters. Don't let them get away with it. Don't pat let them patronise you by saying to you that you're old-fashioned. Don't let them patronise you. Don't let them smear you as being judgmental. And don't dis let them dismiss you as irrelevant. Because the Christian faith that you practice, the Bible in which you believe, and the Lord whom you serve, are as important and as relevant today as they have always been. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. And Christianity, therefore, is the same yesterday and forever. It is not irrelevant. Now, as Christians, 
We stand by our Christian faith, don't we? And we stand by our beloved Saviour and we commend him as important and relevant to our age. And we speak as Christians not just from experience, we speak primarily from conviction of heart and mind because the Bible makes sense to us. We are persuaded by the truth of God's word. We are persuaded of the truth of Jesus Christ, of Christ and his word. And we do not speak because we were born that way. None of us were born Christians. Rather, we speak as those who have been convinced of the truth about Jesus Christ. And we have chosen to believe his word, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christ's gospel has made sense of our human experience, of who we are as human beings. And we have found answers to the fundamental questions of life. Where did I come from? Where am I heading? Who am I? What is life about? Fundamental questions of life. Questions that have been answered by Christ and his words. And as Christians, we testify that Jesus Christ, the God-man, truly is who he says he is. He is the way. He is the truth. And he is the life. And he has given direction to a lost world. He has given truth to a world that is confused. And he has given life and hope to a world that lives in fear. I want to unpack those three little headings. First of all, Jesus Christ is relevant. Christianity is, is not irrelevant. But Jesus Christ is relevant. I've got that the right way around. Because he brings direction to a lost world. Now Jesus presents himself as the way to the Father, to God the Father. We heard read from John 14 verse 6, those very familiar words. Jesus saying, I am. First of all, saying I'm God. He is using the same title for himself, I am, that God used when he spoke to Moses. Who shall I say sent me to the Egyptians? Moses asked, tell them I am sent you. God is using that title, I am. And it's, Jesus takes that title for himself. I am God, he is saying, who is the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, we need to ask the question, so what? So what if Jesus is the way, the truth and the life? So what if Jesus is the way to the Father? Does it matter? Well, it does matter. Because men and women who are created to live in relationship with God find themselves without that relationship. They find themselves lost and far from home. It's important because being a human being, we are made in God's image. And we are made to be in fellowship with God. Apart from God, our maker, we can never, as human beings, be complete. St. Augustine, you might have heard of him, he famously said, Lord, our hearts, or famously prayed, I should say, Lord, our hearts are restless until we rest in you. Simple sentence, a simple prayer, but recognising a profound truth, that apart from God, a person can never be complete. To be the people that we are meant to be, to make sense of who we are, 
We need to be in union with God, our Heavenly Father. And the sad reality is this, that because of our sin, because of sin, human beings are apart from God, distant from God, lost. But Jesus Christ has said, hey, I am the way. I am the way back to the Father. And you, Jesus is saying, need to be very careful to put your trust in me. Now I'm sure you rejoiced a few weeks ago when Wales, at the football team, Wales, beat Belgium 1-0. And it was as a result of a Gareth Bale goal. That means that Wales is now top of uh, our championship qualifying group and well on the way to, to qualifying for the European Championships next season. Now, we've been there before, Wales has been there before, and I'm not counting any chickens. But, you know, 1-0, can't knock it. I love the story, and this is a true story, because it's been repeated several times in the papers, and the papers never tell lies. <laughs> this is a true story. Some Belgian fans, making their way to Cardiff to see that game, arrived in Dover. And they keyed into their sat-nav, Wales. And they ended up in Wales, South Yorkshire. <laughs> that little village, just south of Rotherham. And Suzanne and I were driving through Wales, coincidentally, yesterday evening. And I had a smile on my face, because I imagined that small band of Belgian football supporters driving around that little village looking for the very large Cardiff City football stadium. And they couldn't find it. And they couldn't find it because they were nowhere near it. They'd put their trust in imperfect technology which had let them down. They could, it couldn't interpret which whales they wanted. And we need to be careful, Jesus is saying, to, if we are to arrive in our destination, we need to be careful where we put our trust. And the sad fact is this, that those people who want to find their way back to their Heavenly Father, or rather want to find that completeness, that emptiness in their soul, they want that emptiness filled, that can only be filled with a relationship with God, their Heavenly Father, fail to put their trust in Jesus Christ. Bernard Levin, I think he's passed away now, but he was a, a columnist, a newspaper columnist, one of the best of his era, describes the lostness and search for meaning by his generation, and he lived about 20 years ago or so. He wrote this, Countries like ours, speaking of our country, countries like ours are full of people who have all the material comforts they desire. Together with such non-material blessings as a happy family, and yet lead lives of quiet and at times noisy desperation, understanding nothing but the fact that there is a hole inside of them and that however much food and drink they pour into it, however many motor cars and television sets they stuff it with, however many well-balanced children and loyal friends they parade around the edges of it, it aches. Bernard Levin is saying, that in their search for purpose and meaning, people are putting their trust 
in the wrong things. It's like keying the wrong name into a sat map. You'll end up in the wrong place. You'll always end up in the wrong place if you fail to put your trust in Jesus Christ. Leo Tolstoy, I'm sure you'll have heard of him. He wrote the epic War and Peace. I'm sure you've heard of that novel. How many of you have read it? Neither have I. He also wrote, and some of you might have read this, The Magnificent Anna Karenina. How many of you have read that? Brilliant. Neither have I. He also wrote, listen to this one, the less well-known book, A Confession, published in 1879. I won't ask you if you've read that one. And in A Confession, published in 1879, Leo Tolstoy told of his desperate search for meaning to life. He'd been brought up in a Christian family in Russia, but he'd rejected Christianity in his teens. He went on to lead a hedonistic life of heavy drinking, gambling and promiscuity, a life which failed to satisfy him. So he turned instead to, to making money, thinking, if I make a lot of money, then I'll be fulfilled and satisfied. He inherited a, a vast fortune, and then he quadrupled it by selling millions of books. But he still found no answer to life's important questions. So he said, well, money won't do, a hedonistic lifestyle won't do, I know, I'll focus on my family. So he married. And he, had, and he and his wife loved one another, and together they had 13 children. That's one, three. 13 children. Yet, one question brought him to the verge of suicide. It was a, a question he couldn't find the answer to. Is there any meaning in life which will not be annihilated by the inevitability of death which awaits me? Death was inevitable. And he knew that he wasn't ready for it. So he turns to science and to philosophy. Lots of people turn to science for the answers to the big questions in life. And the answer that science gave, listen to this, he wrote this down. In the infinity of space and the infinity of time, infinitely small particles mutate with infinite complexity. Not a lot of comfort in that, is there? And yet many people, like Tolstoy, put their trust in science or naturalism, expecting to find meaning and purpose, answers to life's big questions. But whereas science explains how the universe works, it doesn't explain why and by whom and for whom it was made. Science doesn't answer the big questions of life. Not then, not now, not ever. And Tolstoy found that out. And so, in desperation, he turned to his friends, his contemporaries. And amazingly, he found, he discovered, they weren't even asking the questions that he was asking. They weren't even asking or facing up to the important questions of life. Strange. These important questions of life, who am I, where am I going, so on and so forth, they weren't even asking those questions. Eventually, Tolstoy turned back to Christianity but this time he took the claims of Jesus Christ seriously he took Jesus Christ at his word as the one who claimed to be the way to the Father as the one who could bring back a restored relationship with God 
And he came to that place of repentance, of sin. And he came to that place where he put his faith in Jesus Christ for his salvation. And he was restored to his heavenly Father. And in so doing, of course, he found the direction and the meaning that he was looking for. He discovered that Jesus Christ was relevant. Jesus Christ is relevant. Christianity is not irrelevant. Jesus Christ is relevant because he provides the way, and it is the only way to the Father. And we should be careful to put our trust in him, because he, and only he, is the one who offers direction to a lost world. Well, Jesus Christ is relevant because he offers direction to a lost world, and he is relevant, secondly, because he offers truth to a confused world. Jesus said, I am the truth. I am the one who has come to reveal the truth about God. He is the one who has come to reveal the truth about human beings such as us, and the truth about how we should live. In his interrogation of Jesus, Pontius Pilate, the governor of Palestine, said to Jesus, What is truth? Now Pilate's response was a sceptical one. And he was responding to Christ's assertion that he, Jesus, had come into the world to testify to the truth. I've come into the world, Jesus said, to tell you what truth is. I've come into the world to testify to truth. Pilate said, what is truth? In other words, Pilate rather sceptically was saying, hey, truth is what people say it is. There's no absolute truth. There's no objective or shared truth. What may be true for you will not be true for me, and what may be true for me might not be true for him or her over there. We, as individuals, make up our own truths. We decide what is true for us. What is truth? Truth is what people say it is, said Pilate. But Jesus stood before him, and he claimed to be the truth. Now the question that we have to ask is this. Okay, if Jesus Christ claims to be the truth, can that claim be verified? Can we prove that Jesus truly is telling the truth about himself and truly is the truth? He can reveal the truth about God and about ourselves, who God is, how we should live, and so on. How might we prove, how might we verify Christ's claim about himself to be the truth? Well, Jesus invites us to do exactly that. Verse 11 of John 14, which we heard read. Jesus says, Believe me when I say I am in the Father, and that the Father is in me. Or at least believe in the evidence of the miracles or the signs themselves. Jesus points to his miracles. And he did more than a few miracles. And John in his Gospel refers to Christ's miracles as signs. Signs that point to Jesus and reveals his identity as the Son of God. He points to his miracles to prove that Jesus is telling the truth about himself and that he is the truth. Now, I want you to focus on one of the incredible miracles that surrounded Jesus Christ. It may not be a miracle that he performed himself, 
it was certainly a miracle that was performed on him and that is Christ's resurrection and the resurrection I'm sure you will agree as, a, as Christians the Christ's resurrection is the linchpin of the Christian faith we believe and if you, if you attended St. Albans this evening and I'm, boy, I'm not going to go this evening I'm an evening off yeah. we recite the creed and one of the things that we say very clearly as Anglican Sunday by Sunday by Sunday is that we believe in Jesus Christ his death and in his resurrection he came alive from the dead and you will believe the same as Christians that is what we believe that he died and that he rose again and that by his death he paid the penalty for sin a penalty we could never pay because as sinless beings we could not pay that penalty ourselves he, by his death he paid the penalty for sin so that when we as penitent sinners repent of our sin we might be forgiven our sins and when our sins are forgiven we have that new way back to the Father we are reconciled to God our Heavenly Father by his death Christ paid the price of our sins and by his resurrection he defeated the power of death one new and eternal life for all who would believe in him but the question that we have to answer is this can the resurrection story be believed and if the resurrection story is true and can be believed then we can say this of Jesus he is who he says he is he truly is the truth so the resurrection story, the resurrection of Christ, is fundamental to who we believe Jesus to be. Let me tell you about Lord Darling, lovely name, former justice, Chief Justice of England and Wales. He set about investigating the evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he wrote some remarkable words. Now this is one of the finest minds in this country in his day you know you don't just turn up and, and, and apply to be Lord Just Chief Justice of England and Wales you have to be a fine mind and people think that in order to become a Christian you have to leave your intellect at the door that's nonsense some of the most intelligent people on the planet are Christians this man was one of them and he wrote this we as Christians are asked to take a very great deal on trust the teachings, for example, and the miracles of Jesus. Now, if we had to take all on trust, I, Lord Darling says, I, for one, would be sceptical. The crux of the problem of whether Jesus was or was not what he proclaimed himself to be just surely depends on the truth or otherwise of the resurrection. There we are. He's saying the resurrection is fundamental to who we believe Jesus Christ to be, whether we can believe the rest of his teaching. On that greatest point, we're not merely asked to have faith, as important as faith is as Christians. In its favour, in its favour of the story of the resurrection, as living truth, there exists such overwhelming evidence, positive and negative, factual and circumstantial, that no intelligent jury in the world can fail to bring in the word verdict that the resurrection story is true. This is a judge who measures the evidence every day of his life. And he has weighed the evidence about the resurrection. And he says this, that no intelligent jury in the world 
could fail to bring in the verdict that the resurrection story is true. So the resurrection story, I believe the resurrection to be true, I've sifted through the evidence myself, and the conclusion that I've come to, that it can be believed that Jesus Christ came alive from the dead. And the resurrection of Christ validates his claim to be who he says he is. So when Jesus says he is the way, the truth and the life, we can believe him. We can believe that Jesus Christ is indeed the truth. And the reality and the truth, he is the reality and truth of God incarnate. And if Christ is truth, then his word is truth. And his words are true. He teaches, directs and guides us into all truth. And he gives us what we sometimes call a moral compass. How to live in ways that are for our good and glorify God. He gives us that moral framework. We as Christians know how we should live. Because Jesus Christ in his word makes it clear. We don't have to decide for ourselves. In fact, we shouldn't decide for ourselves. Christ has decided for us. This is how we live. He is truth. He has shown us how we should live. He is truth. Who he is and what he says can be believed. Jesus Christ, the Bible, the Christian faith, are relevant because they provide truth in a confused world. And lastly, and briefly, you'll be pleased to know, that Christianity is not irrelevant. That Jesus Christ is relevant because he gives life and hope in a world of fear. Jesus says, I am the life. Jesus embodies the indestructible life of the living God. He died for the sins of the world and the forces of death and hell could not prevail against him. He came alive from the dead. He's defeated the power of death. So St. Paul was able to write to Christians in Corinth, death, mocking death, pretending that death is a person, using poetic license here. And he's saying to death, death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? Jesus came alive from the dead. He defeated the power of death and won eternal life for all who would believe in him. So much so that he says in John 17 verse 3, Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, Heavenly Father, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. It's through repentance of sin and faith in Jesus Christ that the gift of eternal life is appropriated. And this gift of eternal life brings with it and this is the key word, hope. The gift of eternal life brings with it hope. And can I say, it's not the speculative kind of hope that is exercised by players of the National Lottery. It's not that kind of hope. Can you do that? Can you cross your fingers? Can you trust to luck? That's what people do. That's what they think living by hope is. I hope my numbers come up. And it's, 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 it's an unreliable speculative come. Yeah, I put in my numbers and the same numbers I put in every week, my children's birthdays, they've all gone into this and I'm going to trust to luck. When the Bible speaks about hope, it's not speaking about speculative, lottery-like hope. It is speaking about a certain hope. It's going to happen. It speaks about a certain hope that can sustain us even in our darkest moments, even when the shadow of death 
falls on us. As Christians, we can enjoy that certain hope. St. Paul wrote to Christians in Thessalonica. He wrote this. As Christians, we grieve. Yes, we lose our loved ones. As Christians, we grieve. But we do not grieve as those who have no hope. We have hope because we have the gift of eternal life. And we know that our loved ones who die in the faith of Christ will rise again in glory. We grieve because we miss them. But we do not... We have that hope that sustains us. We need not fear death. We need not fear the future. Tolstoy feared death at one point, didn't he? Is there any meaning in my life which will not be annihilated by the inevitable ability of death which awaits me? Well, yes, there is meaning in life that will not be wiped out when death comes. Because Jesus Christ has secured our future. He has brought life out of death by his resurrection. We need not fear, not even death, because Jesus Christ brings life and hope into a world of fear. So let me conclude that Christianity is relevant. It is not irrelevant. Because it is centred on Jesus Christ, the way, the truth and the life. The one who gives direction to a lost world, truth to a confused world, life and hope to a, in a world of fear. Jesus Christ, in other words, gives meaning, morality and hope. But let me end by saying this, that it's not enough for us to regard, for us to regard Christianity as relevant. We need to make the world see its relevance. It's interesting, isn't it, that Tolstoy's contemporaries weren't even asking the questions. It's like us going up to somebody and saying, did you know that Jesus is the answer? Is he really? Well, what's the question? We need to, to, to challenge people in such a way that they start asking those questions. Who am I? Why am I here? What happens when I die? We need to make the world see Christ's relevance. We need to make the case for, for faith. Now, in his book, Intellectuals Don't Need God and other modern myths. I won't ask you if you read it. Theologian Alistair McGrath tells about his friend's stamp collecting hobby. And his friend, he says, is perfectly capable of telling me everything I could possibly want to know about the watermark of stamps issued during the reign of Queen Victoria by the Caribbean islands of Trinidad and Tobago. And while I have no doubt about the truth of what he is telling me about his stamp collection, I cannot help but feel, says Alexander McGrath, that it is an utter irrelevance to my life. And he goes on, that Christianity strikes many people the same way. That Christianity is totally irrelevant to people's lives. They simply so see no need for a religion that is 2,000 years old and has had its day. How is Christianity relevant to them, they would say. Well, we need to tell others of how Christianity is relevant and get them to start asking the big questions so that we can show them that Jesus Christ can answer them. Where did I come from? Where am I heading? Who am I? What is life all about? We need to get a person's attention. And the first step might be to, take, to, to show how Christianity is applied to, to life's experiences which is what Helga did. Bring you back to Helga. And I said to Helga, Helga, don't let them get away with it. 
Don't let them patronise you as old-fashioned, smear you as judgmental, dismiss you as irrelevant. The Christian faith, the Bible, Jesus Christ, is as important and as relevant today as it has always been. It is for yesterday, today, and forever. Shall we pray?